Welcome back to the Better Boundaries podcast, sponsored by Utahns for a responsive government. I'm Kyle Fryant, Deputy Director of Better Boundaries, and I'll be hosting this episode today. As we wait for the Utah State Supreme Court's hearing on an interlocutory appeal in Utah's fight against gerrymandering, we wanted to do something a bit different with the podcast this season. Utahns have enormous confidence in our elections, according to polling done by the Deseret News. And a big reason for that is the work of election officials throughout the state to administer elections in a nonpartisan way. So this season, we're going to be hosting officials throughout the state who either currently oversee elections or have experience overseeing elections. If you have any questions for our guests, feel free to connect with us on social media or to send an email to kyle at betterboundaries.org. Today, we're really thrilled to be joined by Kayleen Potter. From her work as state elections director to mayor of Heber City, to her current role as executive director of Utah Ranked Choice Voting, Kayleen has a wealth of experience and knowledge working on election issues and innovation in Utah. Kayleen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for the opportunity. It's great to be here. So taking a step back, I wanted to talk about your career and your work in elections in Utah. I mentioned some of your previous roles. So can you tell our listeners about what got you first interested in working in Utah's elections and politics? Sure, you bet. You know, funny enough, I was a young BYU student and I took a class from Dave Magleby and it was the early days of the Utah College's exit poll. And so I learned a lot about polling and elections. And then he asked me to be his research and teaching assistant and help editing a book about campaign finance. And so um, after I graduated, I was teaching high school and a friend of mine was the general counsel for Governor Levitt. And he said, hey, would you be interested in applying to come and work up here? We need someone to do election stuff. Anyway, that's how it all started. And so I, I applied and I became the director of elections under the new Governor Levitt and Lieutenant Governor Walker at the time. And so speaking of your time as state elections director, what do you think our listeners should know about the role of the state elections office in administering Utah's elections? No, back in the day when I when the Levitt when Governor Levitt was elected, they they were trying to pare down government and they said, we don't need an elections person in our office. And so they didn't hire anybody. And then they came to me a few months into the first year of his term. And um, at the time, Utah elections were very decentralized. The county clerks did everything. There was a printing company that kind of told them what to do and the state wasn't as involved. But then the federal government passed the motor voter law and things started shifting where we had to create a statewide database of registered voters. We had to have mail-in voter registration. You know, we, we made it so that when people got public assistance or their driver's license, they could check a box and register to vote. So, so the, the state elections office started becoming, started to grow. We had to add some more employees. And anyway, it's just continued in that direction where there has to be more coordination at the state level and some consistency and direction from the state that there wasn't, you know, over the years. That's really interesting to hear how you were there when things changed so significantly in regards to the state's role. As you look at elections now in Utah, what were some behind the scenes experiences you had as state elections director that inform your perspective on Utah's election administration now? Well, um, I was there during the hanging Chad days, if if you um, remember that or know about it. Um, you know, thankfully, we don't use those kind of ballots anymore, but there were some moments that were 
a little bit concerning because we were down there doing a recount in Salt Lake County and you would look at these ballots and say, how do you decide what a voter's intent was on a ballot like that? So it's been an interest been interesting to watch the evolution of the technology, um, the level of certification and and caution that goes into making sure that our elections are handled in a professional, fair, um, transparent way. So I've, I I did find it fascinating. I also was a part of the National um, Na National Organization for State Election Directors, and I saw how larger states had you know progressed in different ways. And we started you know one of the things I did is I saw that other states were having those I voted stickers. So I ordered a bunch of them and started passing them out to counties. You know, that was the first start of I voted stickers in Utah. That's one of my favorite things. But <laughs> well, anyway, as, it was great. <laughs> as, as someone who uh, really cherished their first I voted sticker and was looking forward to having one for years, I, I thank you for that. Uh, uh, yes. Speaking of uh, I voted stickers and just innovation generally, I know that the state is pretty decentralized in terms of our administration of elections, as you mentioned. It's largely done by county clerks. And so how does the state elections office work to innovate and change election processes in Utah when it's so decentralized? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, a lot of what happens is directed by the legislature. I noticed um, this year there were probably 45 bills dealing with elections up at the legislative session. And sometimes the legislature will tell. Um, I noticed there was a bill that increased the role of the lieutenant governor in some of the oversight and some of the things that are happening. Um, I, I have noticed updates in software. I'm a lobbyist and I've noticed how the lieutenant governor's office has updated the way that lobbyist registration and reporting is administered. So um, without being in that office and knowing exactly, I've seen from the outside that there are a lot of technological advances that the state has done in that administration of these different areas of elections. So moving forward a, a few years from your time as state elections director, you recently served as a member of the city council in Heber City and later as mayor uh, of Heber City. What helped you decide to run for local office and did your experience in the state elections office help make that decision for you? You know, funny enough, I had zero intention of running for office. I considered maybe someday running for the legislature, but some friends of mine actually, um, one of my friends was Craig Powell and he was a legislator in our area and he and some other people called me and said, hey, why don't you run for city council? And my youngest was going to first grade and I and you know they kind of talked me into it. I thought, well, city stuff—that's boring. I like the policy, not the roads and parks. But anyway, they talked me into it, and I ran for city council. Um, there were eight candidates that ran, and two of us won. And um, it turned out to be fascinating. Once you're in there making the decisions and looking at all the pros and cons, it became a really—I um, found it to be really interesting and enjoyable opportunity. And, and so, I, and my role is—oh, sorry. I didn't finish that second question. I had reached out to Olean Walker when I was trying to decide if I should run and talk to her. And, and she did encourage me and was a mentor to me. She was so, um, one of the things I loved about her was I sort of had this image of what you would need to be like if you ran for public office. And, you know, I thought I'm just not that organized. And, and I would watch her fly into the office and go, where's my purse? And, you know, she'd leave home with her hair wet and the driver would drive her and her sticking her head out the window. And we all kind of joked, but she was so smart and such a great public servant and was a good example for me. And 
kind of helped alleviate some of my concerns about running for office and gave me that courage and that, you know, that encouragement to do so. And what would you say to others who maybe are contemplating running for local office or just office generally? You know, it's funny because a lot of times women need that nudge from someone else and think, well, I could never do that. Or, you know, I don't have all the qualifications and and, and studies show that it's usually those little nudges that help particularly women and sometimes men also to decide to actually take the plunge and do it. And and it's so important in our cities that people participate in, that we have more voices. And so anyone who sort of feels that consideration, it might just be, you know, that is a reason. There's a reason you feel that way because you would do a good job and you do have something to offer. So I would say, you know, look at, look, a little, go to some meetings and see what it's like. Um, I hadn't been going to meetings when they talked me into running. So I think that kind of gives you a little insight so that you know what you're getting into, but for sure, I would encourage anyone to do it. It's a great experience. So in addition to the roads and bridges that you mentioned earlier, um, I'm curious, speaking of elections, in your role, both on the city council and as mayor, what did you do to work with county and statewide officials to administer elections in your city? You know, in Utah, um, the county clerks typically contract with the cities and run their elections. They have all the equipment, they um, design the ballots, but the city recorder who who plays the role of managing elections for the city um, is helpful in that in that process to different degrees. In Heber, our city recorder was very involved and she went over and helped um, through the whole process. But as an elected official, as the mayor and city council, we oversaw, we approved the budget. Um, you know, we decided to use ranked choice voting in 2021. Uh, but um, nothing in the really hands-on space of administering the election. So speaking of ranked choice voting, you recently became the executive director of Utah Ranked Choice Voting. Why did you make the decision to join as executive director of Utah Ranked Choice Voting? So I was at a League of Cities and Towns conference in, what year would that have been? 2017, maybe. And I met a guy named Stan Lockhart, who a lot of people know in the political world of Utah. He was he was running this effort of ranked choice voting and they needed someone to help work with the cities. And, he's, and I happened to meet him at the booth. I was interested in ranked choice voting. And months after that, he called me and said, would you be willing to kind of help us as a consultant as we have two cities that are going to implement ranked choice voting in 2018. So I did that. And then in 2021, there were 23 cities that voted for it. And they hired me again to help with um, help with the election administration piece, education of voters, education of candidates, and just sort of that whole side of things. So um, I became a board member. And then last fall, um, we'd been doing a search for a new executive director. And we were sitting in a board meeting in October, September, and they said, why don't you do it? We want you to be the executive director. <laughs> so as I thought about it, I thought, you know, I do believe in this. I believe that it's an important option for um, for cities, particularly in Utah right now, to, to look at it and say, would this improve the process? And so I said, yeah, I'll go for it. It'd be fun. So taking a step back, uh, many of our listeners probably do know about ranked choice voting, but could you just explain what ranked choice voting is, uh, how it's implemented in cities, and just what that process looks like from the moment a voter receives the ballot, uh, what that ballot looks like to the way that counties uh, and cities count that ballot? You bet. 
So instead of just having a ballot with two choices for um, two or however many choices and you just pick one, in a ranked choice voting ballot, if you have you know, five candidates for mayor, you get to rank them and say, well, gosh, you know, my first choice is Julie, but um, if she doesn't make it, my second choice would be Sam. And you get to rank those candidates in order of your preference. And if no one in the, and then what happens is you turn in that ballot and then when the, the first choice votes of every voter are counted, just as if you'd only voted for one, and if no one gets over 50% of those votes, you drop the lowest candidate and then your second choice votes from those people that chose the one who's out, those are applied to the rest of the candidates, if that makes sense. So that happens repeatedly until one candidate has over 50% of the total votes. So it ensures that every elected um, official had 50% of the votes, maybe not 50% first choice votes, but at least 50% in the following rounds, maybe second or third choice votes. So um, that's how it's counted. And that's how the winners are determined is by just going through that process. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people that makes sense, but there are probably also some who uh, have heard some, some things negative about ranked choice voting. So what are some of the common misconceptions about ranked choice voting and how would you respond to those who maybe say, this is my concern? Yeah, some people will say it's too confusing. Um, you know, most of us have been ranking things from the time we were in kindergarten. You know, what do you want for lunch? Well, I'll have macaroni and cheese. If we don't have any of that, I'll have hot dogs. Like we all know how to rank our preferences and we've seen it done in in many different types of, you know, from the Academy Awards to, to whatever. Um, so it's really not that confusing. It is a new thing, but we also have, managed going from flip phones to smartphones, which is a far more complicated jump, but everyone seems to have handled it quite well and figured out how to do it. So it does take some education uh, so that people understand, you know, what's coming on my ballot. So that's something that we've been helpful in doing. Um, so as far as another objection, some people think it's a partisan thing that it helps Democrats or it helps moderates. And it really just helps whoever, whichever candidate has the broadest and deepest support in a jurisdiction. There are places where um, Republicans have won ranked choice voting elections. There's places where Democrats have won. In Utah, we only do it in nonpartisan elections, but there has been an accusation. And I think there are more, there are probably more democratic states and cities more that lean that way, but that's because um, people with that, mindset are more willing to try new things and change. Conservatives don't want to try something new typically. So we found as the cities would weigh it out, they'd say, I like it, but we don't want to be the guinea pig. We don't want to make it make a change. So I think some of that is just the nature of the type of people who are willing to change things. So anyway, that's one of the things that people argue um, is a problem, but there's no evidence of that. Typically, it just shows that if a, if a candidate can overcome the campaigning method that is I'm the best, everyone else is an idiot and be able to go to people and say, oh, well, I know that you like them, you have their sign, but would you consider me as your second choice? That is the candidate that wins because they build coalitions. They talk to people they wouldn't normally talk to. I know as a candidate, you'd think, oh, well, they like them. I wouldn't even bother to talk to them. But when you're doing ranked choice voting, you've got to figure out what are the issues that those other voters care about? How do I come up with 50%? 
I've got to talk about some other issues and understand issues. And I think it changes the way can candidates campaign and voters, instead of just knowing that they like this one person and everyone else is, you know, you don't need to worry about them. You have to look a little deeper. You have to get a little more educated and decide who would I choose for second choice if my first choice is out. So those are things that sometimes people misunderstand and say, oh, well, it, it just elects Democrats. Well, I've heard that from people, but there's no evidence of it. What it elects is people who are able to build bridges and make coalitions and get 50% of the electorate to say, yeah, I would support that person. That's really uh, great to hear those responses because uh, there maybe are people with those questions or those confusions, and it's good to know kind of where the evidence is at. Um, when it comes to ranked choice voting, oh, and if there are supporters or listeners to this podcast who support ranked choice voting, what can they do to work with their local election administration officials to support its implementation and to educate their friends and neighbors about ranked choice voting? Thank you. That's such a great question. So right now we're approaching a deadline. So for this election year, the deadline is May 1st that cities need to vote and decide that they're going to use it. One of the interesting things ranked choice voting does is it eliminates a primary election. That's where some cost savings comes in. But that's why there's a deadline so that cities can say whether the candidates need to file to run in June for an August primary or whether they don't file till August because they only have to go in a general election. So citizens who like ranked choice voting and want to have it in their city, please reach out to your elected officials, your mayor, your city council members, and let them know because sometimes they hear from a few people and think, oh, nobody likes this because they've heard from a few that don't like it. So it's important to reach out and let them know that you would like to see ranked choice voting in your city. Um, that's the best thing you can do. There are a lot of resources online. Um, we have a website, utahrankedchoicevoting.com, that has some um, information that is available to be shared. And you can Google ranked choice voting. Now, there are different uses of ranked choice voting in this country. We're not doing what Alaska did. We're not doing what Maine did. This is just a nonpartisan elections for cities. So it is a little bit different. But um, also, you can feel free to reach out through our website and ask any questions. We can provide materials, flyers, anything that anybody is interested in. Thank you so much for that information. And just as a final question, we've gone through, you've been at many levels of government in election administration in Utah. For those uh, Utahns who maybe have questions about Utah's elections or uh, concerns about our processes, what would you say to those individuals based on your years of experience in this space? I would say, instead of believing what you maybe hear in social media or on the news, go in there and see. Every election, the county clerk will do what they call, um, oh my gosh, I forgot what it's called all of a sudden. Anyway, they'll do kind of a test before the election so you can come in and see how things are going to be counted, what the process is. There's information from the Lieutenant Governor's office about elections. Um, you can go talk to your election officials, but to hear something where there's no evidence and then believe that um, our elections aren't good is a dangerous thing that I see happening in our country. We're undermining one of the basic institutions of our democracy. So anyone who has concerns, go in there and learn about it. You can go in and watch the count. You can volunteer to be an election worker and get involved and see how it really how it really happens in our state. And that's probably the best way to find out what's really going on. 
Well, thank you so much, Kayleen, for joining us on this episode. And thank you so much to, your, uh, to you for your service to the people of Utah uh, through your variety of roles. We're uh, excited to see uh, all you do for our state. And thank you to everyone who listened to this episode of the Better Boundaries podcast. My name, once again, is Kyle Fryant, Deputy Director of Better Boundaries. If you have any questions, once again, feel free to email me at kyle at betterboundaries.org. In future episodes, we'll continue to talk with election officials around the state of Utah about what they're doing to ensure confidence in Utah's elections.